Welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman, and special guest, first time on What's the up, cast. What's up, guys? Oh, he's saying, he's saying hello. Hello, Ben. How are you? Good. I was just doing a movement. You can keep it. Okay. And, and, <laughs> uh, and I might say the last name wrong, but uh, returning uh, first time on the cast, uh, but uh, frequent guest on the Monday Night Commander live stream, we have uh, Braden Bowdish. Welcome. Welcome to the official MMCast podcast. Thanks. You killed it. You did the last name correctly. You did the first name correctly. Well, Braden That's like a <laughs> one in a hundred shot kid. I, is, hey. that, is that the quote? Yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of quoting two things wrongly together. It's a favorite pastime of mine. If you ever were going to say one thing positive about Alex Kessler, it would be that he is phenomenal when it comes to pronunciation of names. And I think he really showed it in his uh, display of your name perfectly there. So, Alex, way to stick with uh, the program there and make sure you better. pronounce the name correctly. Because I'm, for some reason, <laughs> in all of our content, it has become my job to read things out loud, which was a mistake. Um, but comes with the fact that I'm also the person who's technically running things, uh, which was also maybe a mistake. But here we are, uh, 300 episodes in to this podcast. This is episode 301. Um, I'm, I'm going to be actually very excited when we get to 310, which is the area code of the city of Los Angeles, uh, the place I grew up, uh, just because you got to represent the 310. Um, hello, Braden. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> uh, would How's you like it going? To, would you like to tell uh, the people listening uh, whom you are, what content you make, and where they can find you on the internet. Sure. So uh, I'm Brayden. I'm a CDH content creator, CDH player, commander player. Uh, I've been playing Magic for like the last five years or so. I'm also a judge. You can find me online at the CDH cast on Twitter and YouTube and all the other places. Um, I also get to play commander with you guys on Mondays sometimes when you have me. So it's, really fun. it's always a good time. Yes. We love having you there. Uh, it, it's going to be great to talk to you about uh, specifically CDH uh, as it's something that you're very, very good at and something that oh. was kind of an, an entry point for me to get into this thing. But I just what I wanted to shout out really quickly was that, you know, and I think I said this last week on the show, but 301 episodes in <laughs> seven years later, uh, broadcasting has become this big part of both of our lives. And, and but I was really just getting into it in 2014. You know, I had never hosted a red carpet. I had never hosted an after show. I'd never done a podcast once in my entire life ever. Uh, the first thing I ever did in the world of broadcast at all was the seventh episode of the masters of honor podcast. When Alex was generous enough to invite me on as a guest host, because Glenn, our, our 300th episode guest was about to move because he got hired with wizards. And it was, you know, the first podcast I'd ever done. And seven years later, obviously, I, a lot of you guys know I do quite a bit of that stuff now. And it's just crazy to look back to think that that was the beginning and, and there was no experience. I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, really, truthfully, bar you barely did either. I mean, you were seven seven weeks longer than I was at that point with uh, hosting a it's podcast. Like, it's like when you're twins <laughs> and one's older uh, by like, you know, seven weeks. Uh, I'm the older sibling, Ben. It's it's fine. <laughs> yes. And so and, and so. It's just a special thing to look back and realize now uh, we've done this show for so long and so many great things have come from, uh, you know, the beginning of this and just getting started. And, and uh, yeah, I'm really grateful. I'm very thankful to have everyone who's listening to this, the audience, the YouTube audience, the podcast audience. And so many of you, we've gotten to meet so many of you guys at various events and play against you. And uh, it's just it's just a special experience that I think, you know, we're very lucky to have gotten to have uh, to have even one person who would ever identify as a fan of something we do it's a it's a weird feeling but it's such a cool thing 
that any one person would ever identify that way. And, and um, it's special. So it's worth, it's worth shouting out. I, I, I agree with everything Ben <laughs> just said. Uh, and, and, and on that note and thank you. Yeah. Just everyone who's, who is, who has been listening all this time. Um, it's been a wild ride. We keep going onward and upward. Um, also kind of on that note, thank you patrons for, uh, making this podcast happen. And if you guys have been listening this whole time and you're not a patron, it's a time now's the time to check it out. Cause, uh, there's content there. We do, uh, today we did 30 minutes of extra content, uh, just for the, uh, uh, for patrons. So basically the raw version version of this episode gets posted the day we record it uh, or within 24 hours of that because sometimes the internet takes longer than that to upload these long videos and that gets posted so you get the con all the content a week early um and you get a bonus amount of like somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes at least this week of like extra weird content today we talked about Mater from cars for Mater, 30 minutes. Yeah, we spent 30 minutes talking about Mater from cars. We all did our best uh, impersonations. We ranked the top 10 Mater scenes in cars movies. <laughs> this is not no, what happened. Uh, we did talk about Mater. We talked about music, Mater, uh, and then movies coming back. And then we talked a little bit about uh, moving into new uh, apartment buildings and stuff like that. So je definitely check that out. It's a little bit more of a, a, a window into the lives of the people that uh, are on this podcast. Now, today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of competitive magic and uh, in, in, a, in an interesting window of being CDH. But I think I think uh, in general, kind of across the board, I want to have that conversation, including modern. This podcast has always been really interestingly positioned. I think one of the reasons we were able to become as popular as we were in regards to modern versus a lot of like pro players who were making uh, modern content at the time that definitely branched out a little bit was we were always kind of this middle point of casual modern play we were never like this is the decks you have to play we like always took an eye on card uh, uh evaluation on a perspective of not why won't this card see play in modern but what how could this card see play in modern was kind of always my philosophy which was like one reviewing a card one talking about a deck what are the things that could make it better what are cards that could be printed that could make it better what can this work and so Modern has always been able to be a brewer's paradise in some senses, a place where people can have fun uh, and, and, and take those those challenges. And then Brayden, uh, our guest, yeah. <laughs> and, and bringing it back because of segues, you're you're primarily a CDH content creator. And, and that's kind of not necessarily the opposite, but but in many ways, like a similar purpose in its in its like we are taking a format that appeals to this one audience and then making content around it that appeals to the other half of the magic audience. And that's mm -hmm. taking a casual format uh, known for playing seven drops and ramping and, 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 and everyone kind of just being casual and making appeal to those competitive players that, that, that I mentioned, you know, making it like, what is the, like, let's talk about, you know, deck shells. Let's talk about metagames. Let's talk about how all of these card pieces fit together and really evaluate cards. And like, does this really make the cut or are these, should these be really considered to be like playable in this version of playing this format? And um, you were insurmountable in the onboarding process of Ben Bateman into the commander world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I have, I definitely have like Facebook messages from you being like, this is, this is the deck Ben should play. These are the ways we should do it. This is how we get Ben into commander, uh, make CDH content. And so how, how those two worlds have kind of intermixed how your philosophy around CDH has worked, you know, how, how that community has grown so much over the last five years, but especially the last year, uh, definitely yeah. significantly. 
So I, I think, think I think before well, I was gonna say really quickly before you go, Braden, I want to jump in just because I think a great place to start this conversation that I, I do want to throw back to you on this question is that you mentioned, Alex, why this podcast I think was successful and why people paid attention. And I think it, it's a combination of the fact that we appreciate, which I know you do as well, Braden. We appreciate high-level competitive card interaction. So we appreciate when something is low-costed or it's powerful. We always have. It's why we liked Modern in the first place. But there's also this feeling, I think, of we don't necessarily have to identify with you are stupid if you don't play this card. You don't, you know, it's like you don't have to play the most powerful thing to be doing it right. You can know what's yeah. powerful. You can incorporate it, but it's not a requirement to enjoy a format. So I think the first question that I'd want to ask you, Braden, is that what would you identify uh, if you were going to have to explain it as like, what do you think are the cornerstones of competitive magic, like high level competitive magic? What do you think defines it? What are the things that players uh, look for? What do you look for? That's such a complicated question. Like, it sounds so simple, but, you know, I have friends who are legacy players and they've been playing legacy for a really long time. And for those people, when I talk to them about magic, the things that like they get competitive about are very different from me. Um, I think what comes to me to combine a lot is, uh, and you talked a bit about it, I think during the interview you gave uh, with Gun Jones, that feeling of like you have control over what is coming at you and, and your opponent, like there's like a back and forth. I think there's like a sense of control that is lost in multiplayer commander. And I think for a lot of competitive players, like they love that sense of control. And when you get to like higher power levels of commander, you get back into that a little bit. Like that kind of force comes back in a bit. Like when you have a meta game, you have commanders that kind of express what they do in the command zone that you can kind of play around. But I think like in a format like legacy or modern, like that, like back and forth that like, uh, it's you're no you're like in a vac not in a vac you're like in a box right and that box is like you're trying to like master the realm within that box and trying to like make the correct plays and sequence the correct things in a way that like the influence of your opponent and just that opponent and your decisions and i think for a lot of people that like optimization of that decision making is like what really drives them there's less variables right so it's there's more yeah. control which is why like one v one sports or competition of any kind whether you're talking everything from chess to, to bowling or it, it's, it's all the same thing if it's like okay there's yeah. a fixed set of variables there's what i can do and there's what my opponent can do to respond and there's only going to be this one beat where you do your thing and they do their thing yeah it's very different from cdh right yeah if, if you think of all games on a spectrum of control like we have chess and checkers at one end where there's complete control over every decision and all the information is on the table and then you go like maybe there's like a poker right where there's like hidden information there's an essence of an amount of randomness, right? And then maybe you go to like Yahtzee or something where like Yahtzee is just full randomness. I think competitive players tend to like, everyone's going to find a, a place where they uh, have the most amount of fun on that spectrum. But I think a lot of competitive players, they really like to find themselves in the chess and checkers zone. And I think some CDH players like, from an emotional like perspective, it is kind of nice to not always have to put the blame on yourself entirely, if that makes sense. Like if you're trying to have fun with a game, being able to go, like, when you get tilted, being like, oh, it was my opponent's fault. They blew up the Rhystic Study instead of the Null Rod when they should have blown up the Null Rod. Like, there is, like, a push and pull there that I think, like, helps some people play CDH and, like, be able to get more out of their games in the long term, even if, like, it's less competitive or less spiky, I think, in the mentality, if that makes sense. I think what, what, one of the things that's interesting in that world is is there's there is a community in a game of CDH will work together more than I notice than they do necessarily in a game of regular commander um, to find the correct decision. 
Um, now, now this could also just because we are playing generally with content creators. So there is a, like a, a content creators in general are used to like being educational in the way that they play anything. <laughs> That's why you get into content creation, especially in a game like magic. But I do think there's like a conversation when someone's like, okay, they did this. What is the best way for the community of this game to answer this problem? And obviously there is the, like the werewolf mafia aspect uh among us aspect for all those zoomers out there <laughs> um, like the information that people are giving me is what is best for them and like i know that it they're telling me what is best for them and so a you can extrapolate that information to be like okay this is why they are saying that oh they are saying that this is good for them because they have these cards or uh uh like oh I, they want me to get rid of rest in peace because they can go off and 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 use um whatever the red enchantment that is basically yagamas will <laughs> or they can use yagamas will for that yeah, for that breach. matter uh, uh underworld breach um to go off the the larger number of variables that gets added to C to commander that that is true of all commander games i've found in cdh the community aspect of working against it adds a new layer to it but also does limit some of those those issues the other one is there's less like the metagame is more established and when i say that like there's less oddballs it's not like oh I can expect this person to be playing ad nauseum. That is the most likely card that they're going to be trying to go for here because that is the established thing that's going on here. Demonic Consultation of the Foss is an understood thing. They're playing blue and black. They tutor twice. I can understand what they probably are going for with Counter Magic backup. Um, they're playing Birthing Pod. I can expect them to be going through a Birthing Pod chain. These are the three main ones that exist. I can, you know, work through what are the best ways and outs that I have to fight against it. So, and that's, that's very competitive 1v1 magic right like when you play modern mm -hmm. like before i got into magic content someone was like before you do magic content you have to be at the point in this format where uh after someone plays their first land you know what deck they're playing right like can you get to that point in this metagame and cdh has similar aspects to it i think as it's as that does. it's more like when someone sits down with their commanders do you have a general idea what they're going for? And I think that's actually like kind of satisfying in a way. Like you don't have to guess based off their lands. Like the commanders are sort of a tell. Uh, and I think that's also fun. Like when you sit at a table and you kind of know what everyone's doing, um, the surprises are bigger. And the way you can kind of strategize around that also and talk as if the community you kind of mentioned also is, is fun. That's like uh, when someone plays something and you can kind of go like, Hey, uh, you know, they're on this combo. You need to like keep an eye out for that, you know, kind of making them not want to use their interaction on you. Like that's fun. I, I enjoy that. I think the value and the weight of, uh, of metagame information and understanding of a sport or a game or of an interaction is so essential when it comes to drawing people into to really respecting it with that level. Like when you know the metagame in a competitive format, it gives you a sense of respect and, and it draws you in further. It makes your want and your desire to win and sort of assert that understanding and that knowledge even greater. I think it's one of the things that makes competitive 1v1 magic and also ultimately CDH so appealing. Uh, it's because you do sort of understand the variables, right? Like you mentioned, if chess is the most uh, established where you you know that basically all information, you have perfect information at all times, so it's just this ongoing, incredibly complex math problem. That's less of an appeal for uh, for the type of players that I think usually want to win in Magic because they wouldn't have chosen Magic if that's what they wanted, right? Magic has too much of a randomness to it. 
Um, it's kind of like uh, you guys know, and, and and I think a lot of people listening know that I, I do this movie trivia thing. It's the largest movie trivia league in the world. And and one of the things that I always talk about is I tell this with the question writers when you when they write questions that are basically like, what is the name of this character in this movie? Right. Or they or they'll say, like, what is the name of the summer camp? Right. Some something like that, where it's like, unless you know it, you won't know it. If you know it, you absolutely will know it. But they're not going to be able to like run through a Rolodex of guesses that seem logical and be able to wager a guess that might get you there. That's a lot less fun as a player. It's a lot less fun as an audience member watching the show to to experience that versus if they say something like, uh, how many movies directed by this director did this character actor appear in? And then maybe you can be like, okay, well, it's at least kind of guessable. Maybe if I throw out a number, it might be right, even if I don't know. That's better. It's a better way of, of approaching game design because it's like now the audience can play along and they can say, okay, even if this person I'm watching doesn't know the correct decision, and if we're going to use this as a metaphor for magic, even if they don't 100% know what their opponent's going to do, and even if their out's not an easy out, they can still play to this thing that might happen. But if you reach a point in the game where it's like, well, they're dead because they don't have a card that answers this other thing, and now it's a hard lock, that's a lot less fun. So I do think that when it comes to magic, the thing that makes the competitive environment of it so powerful and so compelling is that there are a number of variables, even in 1v1 play. I mean, even in the highest level 1v1, you know, non-multiplayer games, there's still a level of randomness to what you're going to draw, to what's in your hand. Uh, you still can't control all the variables no matter how hard you try. And I think, so CDH to me is like, it's just the multiplayer version of, of that idea because obviously there's more variables, it's less controllable, but everything you're saying, Alex, I agree with, which is like, the sense of a group mind solving a math problem together. For instance, the sequencing of like person does thing. Okay. Active player. Do you have a thing you can do? No. Okay. Next active player. Do you have a thing you can do? Yes. I'll do this thing. Okay. Back to the first active player. Can you respond to the thing he did? Right. Or they did. I apologize. And like, it's, that's such an interesting piece of this. Like that adds so much to CDH that one V one doesn't get. I, I had a, a scenario today where um, someone had a uh, spell seeker combo they were going through, and I had a uh, bounce spell that put a card on top of their library, and I passed priority. And then the player after me in priority, who would be the last one to get priority before like the effect would resolve, was kind of like tinkering, thinking about whether or not they had something. And I realized they couldn't have an answer in their color combination. I said, "Hey, can you tap a land so a new round of priority starts? Because if you tap a land, like." Priority will start over. And so they did. They tapped their land. Priority came back to me. And then I used my bounce spell to solve the problem. Uh, that was like really cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was, yeah. I made a mistake, but we were able to work together so that we didn't lose uh, in that you know, situation despite the mistake. In many ways, it makes CDH like a, a game of rotating arch enemy, right? Like it's always, it's always a, and that's in, in, in in essence, that's what regular EDH is as well. But it's it's always like you are trying to put yourself in. You're either trying to do two things. You're trying to put yourself into a position where you can be the arch enemy and people can't stop you anyways. Or you're trying to secretly be the arch enemy without anyone noticing you've been the arch enemy the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> the, I explained it to Sheldon one time uh, that it's like there's four games of 3v1. So like arch enemy. And your job is to constantly try to make sure that all the teams you're on are winning. And eventually you just end up winning the most like you're you're just trying to make sure your your team the team that's opposing you of three is losing and the teams that you're on are winning and then hope you get there for the most part (laughs) there's like a lot of games that end up being like that and again that's fun 
it's like there's different games going on and you're constant. It's like a 3D chess almost, you know? Right, right. When Alex and I play uh, multiplayer together, it just it's just a rotating game. If it's his turn, then it's I'm the arch enemy. And if it's my turn, then he's the arch enemy. And that's just how it goes. Whether there's three people, four people, five people, it's just the same thing every time. Well, there, and, are, uh, there, are, there are two things that happen. <laughs> One, it's easier to go after each other at this point, uh, at least especially when we have newer guests on, um, because... I don't want to be mean to people that I'm having on as a guest. And so like, if I'm like, I have to attack someone here and my choices are this nice person who I want to be my friend and I'm meeting for the first time, or like this person who I want to be having a good time or Ben, who is uh, legally required to be here every Monday. (laughs) And so I can make as miserable as I possibly could want and not lose anything. (laughs) And uh, it gets, it gets, it gets spicy sometimes though. But, but, but ultimately the thing is, I think it's such an indicative piece of why regular EDH is going to be ultimately different than CDH because I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to, to, to attack you, Alex, and go after you to get a laugh and then for the audience to have a good time, no matter what it is you're playing or what you're doing far more than I would be if I'm like, okay, all four people here could win on their turn. So like, I'm going to make the optimal play so that I have the most optionality so that I have the most responses available to me. I don't care about your life total because I'm probably not trying to attack to kill you with damage more most likely. Like it's just not something I'm going to pay attention to. Um, and I think I, I think when we've played CDH on the, on the show, I treat those games completely differently. I don't, I do not think about my interaction and my decision tree even remotely the same way. Right. I literally want to have the most untapped mana, the most cards in my hand, the most options, and hide what I'm doing the most. So I want to sit back and do the least until I'm ready to win. Oh, one of the interesting things about like competitive commander, right, is uh, in multiple one v one magic, your uh, your cards trade equally, but in commander, your cards are right. you know trading at a loss. So like there is like this incentive for everyone to kind of just like hang back and try to use this little interaction as possible and be greedy. I also enjoy that too. Like. Uh, I enjoy that kind of play style of like being greedy, holding things back, forcing my opponents to do things. Now, now kind of going back to what I asked at the beginning where, or, or kind of was, was uh, getting to, which is, you know, how the MM cast has always been about modern for fun. And, 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 and in many ways, CDH is for fun, but for competitive. <laughs> um, how, how has that been from a community building perspective? Cause you do do a lot of community building work, taking the mindset of, a format that exists already and then applying it to a different audience. I think you just have to be willing to drop your head on like a gradient, basically. Like, you know, when I talk to Nathan, uh, who goes like by the Hermit Druid on Twitter, you know, I know he likes playing like uh, decks that are a bit more janky. And so like when I talk to him and I give him card advice, my card advice is more janky. And when I'm in my Discord server where I play most of my games, I and someone asked me what my opinion is on a deck, I might say, I, I don't think that deck's very good. But then if someone asks me, like, hey, uh, do you think I should play this deck? I'll be like, oh, yeah, I, n- I think you'll have fun. And, and this could be the same deck. So I just think, like, it's like, I imagine this is the same way modern, right? Like, if you're going to your FNM and you're playing modern in your FNM and you're going to modern at, like, a modern event, like the Modern Pro Tour or something, when that existed, the deck you would bring to those events, not even just from a, a purely competitive level, the decks you would bring to those events is different. Like, if you want to play Blue Black Mill, you can play Blue Black Mill. If you want to play... I don't, I don't have to play modern year. So if you want to play uh, like zoo, you could just play zoo at, at the pro tour. If that's the best deck to play, I think in, in CDH is the same way. And so when you're community building, you just have to be willing to like understand from the context clues, like what is the goal of the people I'm communicating with? And that's what rule zero is all about. So as a commander player, you should get familiar with that. I, th- I think 
I think one piece of this, it, it kind of relates to what you and I were just talking about a second ago, Alex, before the show started. And, and this is obviously not in reference to specifically the idea of using proxies, because I think that's a different conversation. But it's the idea of having an optimal build and, and the idea of having an optimal set of cards. And so, you know, if you are going to play one game at a time, I think CDH is a format that makes a lot more sense to not necessarily have to own more than one copy of any of these cards, because in theory, every deck you play is going to want to have the most powerful set of cards in it. And so, so for, for EDH, like Alex, you were just saying that like when you build a new deck deck, primarily you build it like based off of what you have. And like, sometimes you'll buy some cards, but like you don't put mana crypt in every EDH deck, even though all of them are probably made better by it. But like, you're not going to like proxy a mana crypt or switch it between decks just so you have a mana crypt in every EDH deck, because the point necessarily is not for your deck to be of the highest power level every single time. Is it possible to build a CDH deck and leave out some of those staples that are just so obviously the most powerful cards? Like, can you have a, a, a CDH deck without mana crypt? Honestly, that's the person, it's going to be a person to person basis, right? Like, I know, for example, on the deckless database, there's a Yuriko deck that doesn't play mana crypt. And like, most of the people I talk to would say, like, that deck should be on mana crypt uh but <laughs> it's on the deckless database and uh they have an argument for why they think it shouldn't be in there and i think that's like really the bar for cdh is like do you have an argument for the for like your decision making like i can't like you know i i can't tell everyone what is there isn't cdh right as long as you put thought into your deck building and the reason you're making the choices is purely for strategic reasons uh i i think it's fine. I have a friend who doesn't play ad nauseum in any of his black decks because he likes to play control and he likes to be able to argue that you shouldn't attack him because he isn't on ad nauseum. I think that's incorrect. Uh, I think ad nauseum is just too good to cut, <laughs> but we just disagree on that, you know? So, like, I'm sure there's someone out there who's playing some deck in modern that they're not playing some staple they're supposed to be playing. They're still playing modern. So, Ben... How do you feel about coffee? Dude, I love me some coffee. I mean, the, the daily coffee walk at the office is like a highlight of my day. Oh, hashtag same. You know, one thing I have been able to get into a little bit more since uh, this year started is making my own coffee, which is really fun. I have cool devices. I feel like a mad scientist. Yeah, pour over, you French press. There's so many options with coffee these days. But here's the thing, Alex. If in drinking your coffee, you could make a difference in the world, would you? Of course I would. Of course you would. So look, we can help starving children with our morning coffee. We're going to talk to you guys right now about a partnership we're working on with Free Lunch Coffee. They're on a mission to end hunger from the lives of young children. So the way this works is that when you buy just one bag of Free Lunch Coffee, you're also providing 10 meals to children in need. One bag of coffee is 10 meals. Free Lunch Coffee gives away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of young children. Their coffee is specialty grade, certified organic, fair trade and they offer a hundred percent happiness guarantee for 30 days so if you don't love their coffee they'll just give you a full refund yeah and they, they also have these awesome tumblers and mugs who doesn't love collecting different cups to drink out of especially if you spill a lot like me they're they're great definitely check them out they're actually offering through us a 10 percent discount code so to our loyal listeners all y'all friends uh, if you use the code mmcast at checkout you'll get 10 percent off and they'll know that we sent you so definitely check them out at freelunchcoffee.com. Make sure to use the code MMCAST when you check out. That way you can get 10% off and help a bunch of kids in need. Plus get great coffee because uh, we all drink coffee. 
because uh, you need it to survive, or at least that's me. And you're helping people out now. So check it out, freelunchcoffee.com. So welcome. This is uh, the second video of this podcast. Uh, I am your host, Alex Kessler, with my co-host, Ben Bateman, too. We have Braden Bowditch. Uh, God, I missed it. I had it. Now you've had it last oh, time. I crushed it so hard. Uh, we have Braden Bowditch uh, here today, uh, guesting, and we are talking about CDH, etc. But I, I do want to actually get into that, because I think that's a really cool, defining feature to competitive play versus any other type of competitive play. And that is the statement... Uh, do you have an argument for that card's inclusion? Um, and I think that is, to me, maybe the biggest differentiating point between casual play and competitive play. And and if you look at modern, if you look at legacy, if you look at standard, you know, most 2v2 formats, when you're building a deck uh, with the purpose of winning a tournament, uh, the every card inclusion you need to explain, right? They're, they're like, like sometimes it's like once in a while there's like a weird one that you like, but even those they're normally going to be more powerful cards. Or why are you playing colonnades over this? Is like, well, because in these situations I think these are better, but or or I think just like having a, a free win condition on my lands is good, even if at that point the metagame has moved past it. But it 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 almost ostensibly is always like you have a argument for why that card exists versus regular commander where like. I, I agree with the vibe of like I, I'm playing cards because I like them. They're fun. I, or I, I really like this card. I want to play it. I really want to play the blue red Minotaur Cascade card that you can bounce to your hand. That's pretty miserable and not very good. But like I have no other way to play this card. So I, and I liked it. So I want to try playing it. Um, and and but with CDH, there is much more of a conversation. I'm like, can you argue for the choices you're making? And I'd love to kind of delve into that a little bit more deeply on like, is that the defining feature of a competitive format? I mean, I think I think we talked about this a lot, Alex, in the past on various episodes of the MM cast, right? Like when I played uh, Phoenix in Portland, I think it was a couple of years ago and you I lost a bet. and I had to play an actual good deck and did like pretty well with it. <laughs> I put a single copy of Cerebral Vortex in my deck, which like, you know, it, it was a silly inclusion. But the logic behind it and why I justified it was the card for those that don't know is is blue, red, one instant uh, target player draws two cards uh, and then uh takes damage equal to the number of cards they have drawn this turn. So the idea was that the whole format was Blue Red Phoenix, right? Everybody was playing that deck. It was the big deck of the weekend. So if you play against, at that point, a single copy of Looting, because everyone was playing Looting, with the single card drawn on their turn, two cards drawn off of Looting, and then the two cards off the Vortex, it's a three-mana Lava Accidents and Speed, right? That's, that's on any Looting turn, it's a guarantee. And if they're playing one of those turns, they play like a Looting and a Thought Scour, it's potentially like six or even up to, if they play three spells, seven damage for three mana and speed. You could close the game out, right? It could just be over. But also, at the same time, if you play it on your opponent's turn, it's just three mana, draw two, take two damage. It's a totally reasonable card for you to be playing as a draw spell in your own deck. Um, and I liked it. it. It didn't win games for me, but at the time when I took it into the tournament, I knew it was a little janky, it was a little fringe, but there was real logic behind it based on a metagame choice that I believed in, and it, it made sense for me to cut some other card that people liked to take a chance on this one thing. I like to usually do that. One to three slots in decks that I build, I'll usually try something like that. You're like that with Loam and Jund. I know, Alex, you've done that for a long time. Well, you know, yes, we'll come but, up with these ideas. And, and and but like as you just did, right? I I can argue for days why I think Loam is good in Jund. I think like when you have a Loam, one Loam. Like the problem with Loam is you don't want more than one, but if you get that one and you have Liliana the Veil in play, your Liliana Veil is on speed compared to what it would it would be without it cuz A you can discard the Loam, worst case scenario, but then once you cast loam and you have three extra lanes in your hand discarding a land while while like you're drawing three cards a turn with loam and they're discarding real cards is like 
a beating and and that doesn't even get into like oh you play one or two cycle lands so now you have like an insane card draw engine out of the deck you that like also is good with dark confidant you have the ability to like get your um like fatal push like people were, were like slowing down on playing raging ravine because fatal push was so good against it but with loam your raging ravine now you can play two of them and you, you just guarantee you're always going to have one to fight them not to mention the world of ghost quarters or field of ruins etc etc so like like I, I can argue for days that the these are the reasons the loam might be good in the deck, and 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 those arguments are why Ren and Six when it did get printed became a staple, right? Like the the things that it was doing for the deck were very powerful, and then Ren and Six comes out and just like is a little bit more of an efficient, well-rounded version of the card, and then just like is now you know a main feature to the format and the deck. So like. I think I think we and you just made the argument yourself, right? You you have to be able to argue why this card is in your deck versus like, oh, I just want to play this card because it's fun. Like there 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 needs to be an, an onus behind each card choice you have. That argument though, and I'm going to throw to you here on this, Braden, for to hear your response on this because I want to know if you do this at all with your CDH decks. But like that experience of coming up with the arguments we're talking about and having identifying with your deck, it's a little bit more of like a. That's a little bit more of like a uh, Johnny uh, idea with deck building. It's it's not really Timmy because it can be, but it's not really usually. And it's definitely not Spike. It's a lot more of the Johnny aspect, which is like, I want to win, but I didn't want to do it my way. And so having that justification where you want to do it in, in a way that is specific to you and coming up with that argument, I think is actually one of the things that makes Magic such a beautiful game and such an incredible game. If you do it three or four cards out of 60, the percentage chance that it's going to actually affect the game is so low. Ultimately, you may not even see the fruits of your labor there. You may you may play an entire day. I think I played Cerebral Vortex once in nine matches on day one. Didn't matter, though. It was still an exciting thing for me to know that it could have been played at any time in any one of those matches. I, just to let... I, I think I think our statement of we're going to play with this weird card and we're going to have to defend it is Johnny. But I think the need to defend a card is Spike, right? Like, because most people are like, why are you playing that card? And I'm like, oh, I'm playing it because it's, it's good. Point, yeah. up. And that's that's a Spike mentality. And that's kind of what we're more talking towards because the Timmy mentality is I'm playing this card because I like it. And that and that's like right. sensibly what Commander is supposed to be about in a lot of people's eyes. And and it's evolved into being able to appeal to each different audience and, and the spike side of like looking at a deck and really questioning, like, why is this card here? Is it good enough? Is this a card that I should be playing? Does this help me in matchups? Is it going to lead towards the game set I want, which is winning? Uh, Excuse me. Um, And I think in modern and other competitive formats, legacy standard, whatever that conversation is always happening. It's, 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 why is this good? Now Johnny's are like, uh, like, and we we've done this to people. We had we had Zach Elsick on the podcast the day after he top sixteened a GP with Lantern Control, and we were like, "Why would you play this deck?" <laughs> and yeah. he was like, "I was testing it. We've done a lot of testing. I like I can defend every single card in this deck, and I think this is the best deck in the format." And we were like, "Okay, yeah, sure." And then he won a GP a week later <laughs> with the deck. So like, sh- yeah, okay, you putting is a, you know the argument one. Um, so yes, going to Braden. I forgot which question we asked you because we we went back and forth, but. No. I I know with Braden, with your deck building experience, when you build in CDH, like, do you find yourself having that urge to put in, you know, I guess if it's three out of 60, it's, it's, it's 5%. Like, do you find yourself having that urge to put in, you know, 5% weird cards that you want to explain? Or do you not really think that way? 
I think this is like a, I think this is like an interesting thing about Commander. So, I think the most like well known deck builder in CDH is Shaper, and uh, I I remember when I when I met him, I asked him like, why are you a good deck builder? And he said, oh, I only play good cards, and that was like a very interesting response. Uh, I think knowing Shaper, I think that is that a lot of times what it is is people only play like. It's really like people play when they post their deck list online, they post like deck lists that have only good cards. And then in reality, a lot of times people play like 98 of that list and then they have like a spicy card they really want to play. Yeah, right. In, in my experience, I, I'm kind of always trying to optimize. That's like what I get out of the format. So I like tuning. So I'm always t- testing a few cards usually, but like the goal is to find like, you know, the perfect list. Um, I think my Corbel deck, I'm pretty satisfied with where it's at. I'm just waiting for more cards to come out to shift the metagame to like get to a point where I can feel like I'm doing that process again. Um, I think in Commander, though, the really unique thing is that you have these like commanders, which <laughs> sounds silly, but like, let's say you want to play a blue-black console deck. I could pull out every blue-black commander that's ever been printed, right? So like Thrasios and Timina up to Yuriko. Um, and where I think the most of this happens is actually in that space in the two to three color commanders where people take an archetype and they shove it into a commander that has some unique synergy. So like a Yuriko Turbo Nos deck. Oh, I get to play all these zero mana creatures that are really good with Yuriko. And then, Oh, they're really good with calling the week and diabolic intent and all these other cards that are good in storm decks. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is really unique synergy. I'm going to test out this new archetype. That was a deck I, I built uh, right, right at the beginning of COVID. So I think that's where like, a lot of that is going on in, in, in CDH is a lot of people are saying like, I like Omnath. I'm going to build a four color breach deck with Omnath or I like Omnath. I'm going to build a four color dockside deck with Omnath. Like that is the, uh, that's where I see like the most of that happening like day to day, like every day someone's trying something new and CDH is such a wide open format because that multiple it's for the same reason, like commander can absorb any card because there's like the multiplayer aspect, which kind of just like softens the blow of, any single cards like manipulation or warping of the format. I think like CDH is kind of similar. Like if you get really, really janky and you lose your power level, there's still the multiplayer aspect to kind of just soften that, soften that out a bit. If your brew is like too janky, you still have two other opponents to kind of help you out. There are shells that are powerful that you can put into commanders that are powerful, but ostensibly the power of commander is the consistency of having access to that card. And I think that's true mm-hmm. of all, all versions of the format, right? Like my, I have a Kess deck that is made to be casual and it's built off the fact that like, oh, the Kess mechanic works with adventures. Like like the, the you can cast the adventure half. And so you're allowed to reloop those creatures from your graveyard in a way that is unique to the way that the rules happen to align with that moment. Okay, so I want to play with adventure cards. Well, the best way to deal with that is I'm playing with a Kess deck, so I want spells, um, but now I have these creatures and I want to be able to loop them. Okay, so I want sack outlets. Okay, so what are the best possible spell effects to go with sack outlets? And I landed on threaten effects. Okay, so I'm now going to be playing with a bunch of threaten effects in my Kess deck what beyond you know sack outlets are good with threat effects and then you end up on time stop you end or not time stop you end up on um uh, uh sundial the infinite or you end up on uh blink effects like thassa that like blinks and then puts them into your into play under your control at the end of your turn and so like that looped and then basically the deck kind of built itself from that point on and you go down these trains and it, it makes sense that like oh i'm building a Blue black deck consultation, Thassa's Oracle deck. All right. So that I know the 30 cards or 20 cards that are just going to be a part of that combo. 
but I'm going to play with this commander. Now, what cards are the most powerful things you can do with that commander that then benefit that strategy? And, and demonic consultation being obviously a great one, right? I'm playing creatures and tokens, and now I can tutor for stuff. Um, yeah, and then the interesting thing is in the community there begins a debate like, oh, what's better, like a Yuriko tribal high CMC deck or the Yuriko, tri- uh, Yuriko storm deck? And then the community kind of hashes that out for a bit. So I, I, I think that's like, you mentioned Brewer's Paradise uh, at the beginning when you're talking about modern. Uh, I really feel like CDH is like is is the actual <laughs> Brewer's Paradise because you can find a community for any deck and just start hashing things out with them. Uh, and there's always going to be people who are passionate about their commanders because the nature of the format makes people passionate about their commanders. You know, I think I think what you said too about like there being two other players to smooth it out. If you that that's kind of how you can get away with not playing the mana crypts and the cards that make your deck that much faster and better and consistent is that like, if you want to play with all real cards, no proxies, and you don't have a mana crypt, like yes, your deck will be made better by mana crypt, but soul ring you can get for like a dollar or two. And soul ring is really powerful and, and it's going to be in good in a lot of decks. And there's a lot of cards you can play that are going to get the job done that you don't actually need those crazy expensive cards. I also think the other thing that I, I try to do, I try to do this with uh, decks really in every format so when I come up with an idea and I want to build something, I don't look online for reference points at deck lists until I've built my initial draft. I like to build the entire draft, the whole idea of the deck from scratch before I will start to look up other lists using the same commander or other lists using the same card because I find that if I look it up first, it's it's extremely hard to not just lean back on the ideas that someone else came up with. Um and even if even if it's the same ideas, right? Like I play an Arami deck in Commander that is really fun. I have a really good time playing it. Um, and I was like, well, I want to be able to use Arami like multiple times in a turn. So like Pester Might, Deceiver Exarch. These are like really sweet cards to put into this deck. It's such a cool thing to be able to like put three copies of Deceiver into play. I can untap all these lands. I can untap Arami, like so much value. Now, when I looked up the lists later on, all the lists had come up with that exact same idea, but it didn't matter because coming up with it made me feel so much more energized and excited to keep building a list in the first place. It made the deck feel so much more authentic and personal that I actually finished building it. Whereas I think if you do the thing where you look at, it, at like a net deck, like a, an optimal deck list, so to speak, it's very easy to get so influenced by it that you feel like if you're not coming up with something more clever or creative than that list, you kind of just give up and it loses the excitement. It loses the luster. Yeah. And I think that that's, I do, I do want to yeah. expand upon that in a second, but before we get to that, uh, cause I, I think that's enough of a, a separate conversation to have in a second on, on like brewing and CDH in general. Um, but, but really kind of going back to the conversation on like, uh, uh, the argument for having an argument for a card and, 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 and kind of what we were talking about where like card choices will lead you down paths. I do think that is, how often decks are more often built in competitive magic than even CDH, right? Like I think CDH or not CDH, EDH uh, or commander um, where commander a lot of time is just a pile of cards you own, right? Or like these are cool cards that work with my commander where in internal formats or, 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 or competitive 60 card formats, it's much more like how do, what is the best, like how do I play with really good cards? And then the best decks right. often are like, I'm now playing with these really good cards what are the best ways that these really good cards can work together? Um, can I play something like Thought Season, the Tarmogoyf into Liliana, where I like was able to play a thing to stop them early, play a threat, 
and I'm now now I'm keep talking about Jun, and then play something that makes it so they can never do anything ever again <laughs> while I beat them down with this four or five. Or uh, with Lantern Control, can I play a bunch of one mana like dumb artifacts that look like they don't do anything, but it makes it so my opponent will never be able to draw a card that's relevant again in the format? Or Tron, can what are the best things that do well? I'm now I have now played a shell that finds me these three lands, and once I have these three lands. I can consistently get it on turn three, and I now can have 13 mana available to me. What are the best cards to that work with that that are also good cards? And, and I think that that is how deck building works when you think competitively, right? It's, it's less about what cards do I like, and it's like, how do I take powerful cards and optimize the way that they relate to each other to the greatest degree possible? I think, I think one I'll, thing oh, yeah. to add to that, though, is... In commander, because you have a commander, sometimes you start out with just like, hey, I want to play this commander. What's the best thing I can do here? And, you know, some decks start out with, hey, I want to play Grixis and green. And so I'm going to play, I guess, whatever commanders are viable in that color combination. Maybe Yidris, maybe Thrasios, uh, Val Smasher. But then some other people will say, hey, uh, the way they attack the problem is I want to play Yidris. What's the best Yidris deck? So I think that's kind of something that CDH has to offer. That's a little unique. I, I know obviously like archetypes exist in uh, modern, but I guess it's more like three things. You can pick an archetype, you can pick a color combination, you can pick a commander. Uh, I think that's like kind of what offers brewing in CDH. this like extra dimension is that sure. you do have like that big starting point in the command zone that you can kind of warp the whole deck around. And, then, and, and I think that does bring us to the next conversation. So uh, before we do that, please, uh, everyone watching this video, hit like and subscribe. Uh, once again, thank you, Braden, for joining uh, this the episode this week and all the conversations we're having. Uh, if you missed uh, earlier, we did a whole video on CDH in general and, and how being a competitive person can kind of uh, lead that to being a fun way of playing Magic and how it relates to modern. Uh, definitely check that video. Also check out last week's video. Uh, we had Glenn Jones on for a 300th episode. We did a whole breakdown on like what he does as Wizards. He's currently one of the lead he is the lead architect of kind of what commander looks like at wizards and and how commander relates to standard release sets and other product releases they're doing it's one of the cooler episodes we've done in a long time so definitely remember to check that out plus it was our 300 episode so hit that like subscribe bell button all those things i'm a content creator do the things that we are you know you've watched a youtube video and it helps us succeed and thank you patrons for for all of your support uh pinkies yeah, up to you. to for all of the uh help you guys help making this happen um And welcome back to uh, the YouTube version of the MMCast and audio version. Maybe this is left in. I don't know how Marshall deals with this. <laughs> but uh, we have a special guest, Brayden, uh, from CDH Cast and a bunch of other online content, uh, CDH community member, and sometimes guest of our Monday Night Commander stream every Monday night, 7.30 PST, uh, PM. Um, and we are talking CDH, modern, competitive play, etc. Um, and the question uh, we, we are on now is because uh, we keep touching a base on it. And I think it's a greater conversation. So I want it to be its own video when this eventually exists on YouTube. So uh, hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, is CDH a brewer's paradise, right? Uh, you you kind of brought up in the last video, a conversation on 
uh, as you're talking about deck building and, and how that works and how, how, how you can do deck building in this and, and what are the arguments you can make for different card inclusions. And you brought up that, you know, while we've classically said modern has been a brewer's paradise, you've made the statement on the cast now officially, and you're going to have to say it again, <laughs> that CDH is a, <laughs> is a brewer's paradise. And I, I, that's fascinating to me. So I, I want to kind of let you uh yeah. make your pitch and then ben can ask his question and then i can uh bring up points i have yeah that's how our conversation sure so works. i have one thing to say first before i get into it i think it really depends on like what about brewing gets you excited if you don't like that every deck is playing soul ring um cdh is probably not a brewer's paradise for you but if the idea of playing different archetypes with different commanders different mulliganing styles different uh, gameplay sequences uh different interactions between decks that you know might not exist in any other format uh, yeah, I think CDH is the brewing paradise. I think CDH is really the only format where you have the, uh, it's you have this card pool. It's an absolutely insane card pool. Um, it's rivals vintage and legacy, and you have this many people who are not like. If you look at legacy and vintage, uh, they're just uh, there just aren't as many people looking at at those formats as there used to be, and. I think CDH, like a lot of people come to it wanting to brew. There's huge communities, huge discords. If you go to the the CDH library, there's literally a library on Discord of hundreds of discords where people are just talking, chatting about different commanders. Like you can hop into the Gitrog server and there's a voice call going most nights where people are just chatting, maybe playing uh, some Slay the Spire or, uh, you know, posting memes. But they're also brewing Gitrog and doing stuff like that. You know, I know there's like a legacy Discord. I know there's like, you know, Discords for every community in Magic, really. But the CH community, it just has so much depth. And all those people are bringing new ideas and new perspectives. And every playgroup, things mesh differently. And there's different interpretations of like what the metagame looks like. And unlike, if you look at the modern metagame, there is sort of an objective modern metagame, right? Like, well, not right now. I can go online. Has uh, I mean, the, ban- the bannings have changed drastically? But yes, but in general, historically, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes but yes. like historically, I can go on like online and do some research to find out what this the modern metagame is. If I go online and try to find out what the CDH metagame is, I'm going to find playing with power, which has one metagame. I'm going to find the spike feeders that has a totally different metagame. You find maybe you'll play with my playgroup. We have a totally different metagame. We're all playing the same format, but because like. These formats are sort of, we all kind of play in little pods of, of people, little groups. It's just so diverse. And, and those groups have their own what's normal, what's not normal. Uh, you know, some people play lots of stacks, some people play lots of turbo gnaws. You know, I, I just think you can, you can find a group that plays the way you want to play and you can challenge other people's groups and play the decks you want to play. It's just, there's just so much, so many options and there's so many cards. Just love it. <laughs> I guess I guess my question is when you talk about that like stacks turbo nas like what people do at the highest power level we mentioned the word fun like having fun earlier in the show and like the idea that the gameplay is designed to have a good time I know as somebody who likes to brew I want to be able to do the thing that I want to do that's cool right the cool idea that I have the reason I built the deck like whether it's the cards I want to draw or some Rube Gold Rube Goldberg machine I, that's what I want to be able to do but Often the best way to be able to do that is to play something extremely oppressive and like knockout punch level that's not fun at all, right? Like Blood Moon in Modern is a great example classically of a card where like you would sometimes draw it in your sideboard game and it would just like end the game or Stony Silence in, in a similar fashion. Like 
these cards uh, that, you know, lattice with Karn that was, was, was banned, right? Like there's a reason. And it's like, the whole idea is that like, if you get this thing, it's over. <laughs> you win. It's the game is done. Now you can win the way you want to win. All of the stress with your decision-making and all the other things is gone. Now you just win the game. And it's funny because I both am the guy that wants to have fun, but I'm also at the same time, the guy that wants to not have to worry about combat and complicated decision-making and worrying about what my opponent's going to do. And I want to be able to flip a switch and win and just have it be like, over, I beat you. And so I guess the question there just becomes like, whether we're talking CDH or modern, how do you guys feel about cards that do that sort of thing? Because I know we all like that feeling. So there's a term from a magic article from several years ago that um, Jim from the Spike Feeder showed me. I can't remember the name of it, but it talks about this concept of uh, garbage time. A very simple way of describing garbage time would be time that happens after you've it's the time that's happened after you've won, but before the game has ended. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So harking back to conversations we have lantern control. <laughs> oh yeah. Another way of describing it uh, that they often mention is like if you've invalidated the game in some way. So like if you've performed some action that has invalidated the decision someone else made earlier in the game. But in CDH, there's kind of an understanding that that's going to happen, and so I don't find that to be as much of the as much of a problem. Well, and, um, and I guess I guess my question isn't really necessarily. And then Ben kind of harped on a little bit, but I think it it comes to a greater issue, uh, which is like obviously stacks exists and stacks has its issues, but it's it's more what's interesting to me, and it's something that was interesting watching Ben getting into Commander. Right? Is like. Ben in modern is not a competitive player. He is a he is competitive in spirit, but he like <laughs> like as he said previously in, in one of the videos released like this episode, I he like the two times he's ever taken a actual competitive deck to a modern tournament is because he lost a bet to me. And I he like by losing the bet had to take a deck list that I pre-described that was a top tier deck list at that time. And those are also the two tournaments he's done the best in. <laughs> but like dragging Ben, it, like dragging Ben to that moment where he like he's gone to GPs taking greater Gargadon, uh, 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 what's the zero mana artifact that was you stack so, things for free? So uh, like closet like, gigs, closet oh. gigs decks to a GP, <laughs> and like with, like, <laughs> or like obviously there was the year we just like harped on Mir Superior, which hey, love that year, it was great. Uh, R.I.P. Colgan's command actually it might be good now because Colgan's yeah, command's been bad for a while, but not not to just drag Ben through the dirt, but then getting him into Commander, he like his biggest complaint was the casual aspect of it, right? Was that like was was the casual aspect where he like didn't want to play Commander because it was too casual and so then with your help we played a, a cdh and we got him into it and then he found himself and and i found myself in a similar rut after playing like two three months of cdh twice a month um where yes commanders could be different yes there was some variety of gameplay but like ostensibly most of the decks that we were running into and this was from people that also felt you know, we played with playing with power. We played with Jim. We played with you. And like it was Thassa's Oracle, Demonic Consultation, Adnaz. Everyone's playing every mana rock under the sun. Or there was me playing stacks with Birthing Pod. Because if you can tell me I can play Birthing Pod in a format, I'm going to play Birthing yeah. Pod in a format. So so it, it was one of the reasons that was interesting when you said it's a Brewer's Paradise. Where like, yes, there might be things you can do that are different. But the it feels like the shells of the format are more solved than in other places. I guess to me, um, like, I mean, I play a deck that like one of my favorite decks is, uh, 
like two of my favorite decks are don't play a lot of the most common shells. Like I have a Paco deck where I play Paco, which is a big fat dog that smacks people for lots of combat damage and wins with extra turn spells. I have a that's the one I have like in paper right now that I'm playing. I have a Corbel deck that wins with like Looping Dockside. I think the problem is is a lot of times those decks are harder to play because you just don't get the like pure just busted card value. And then so it's hard like I wouldn't suggest someone plays Paco who's new to the format because you have to you can't make a single mistake or you'll lose. Cause like the deck just doesn't have blue black cards in it because it's teamer. Um, another thing is I personally like when I think of, of like a game of magic, um, like the cards being this, like it sounds so weird to say, but like the cards being the same or similar is not really that important to me. It's like the way in which they're playing out. And so like, yeah, like a lot of the Grixis decks are very similar, but there's a deck called evolution and it wins with, uh, Dockside loops and breach loops, and there's a uh, my Corbel deck, and it wins with Dockside loops and breach loops. The win conditions are pretty much identical, but one is Sands Black and the other is Jund, and they play nothing like each other at all. I think, obviously, if you're all playing if you're all playing Grixis decks and all the commanders are just generic value engines, uh, those experiences are going to be pretty similar. But I, I think the the reason that CDH is a Brewer's Paradise is because you have this thing in the command zone that guides your deck building. Mm-hmm. It makes decisions for you in a way that's like fun and unique, and you can make it part of your identity. Like, oh, I'm the Corbold player. Oh, I'm the Paco player. Right? That's really fun. That's like, you know, being able to tie decks to your identity and make them unique by playing like slightly suboptimal commanders is uh, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And then. It, and it, then for me personally, I just don't find the packages like the packages slot in and the card the cards slot into decks, but the, just the combinations and the tweaking of that is important. And and I think that's like where the brewing is really happening. So so would you almost uh, like I feel like because to me brewing is like totally ground up new 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 position of like ways of attacking a format the way that uh, uh, in in modern Amulet Titan is a good example, right? Like that like took an interaction with a card that people didn't think were powerful or, or even like death shadow where like, these are cards that were in the format for years, but someone by putting the a plus B plus C plus a card being banned, making it. So I'm not playing this bad card anymore. I'm playing this. I'm playing Thoughtseize now, though. That's better. Um, like equals winning in, in CDH, it feels it's a, it's a little bit more of like a tweaker's paradise, right? It's not as much about like, and kind of what you said, where a tinkerer's paradise where, where it's uh, it's not as much about, coming up with and you can right like like it, it, and in, in many ways it's similar to modern right modern most of the time is is a is a in competitive magic i think in this way is most of the time a um it's a tweaking format right it's i'm playing jund and for the last three months these decks were good so my 75 card deck is going to play these cards differently i'm playing tron xyz same conversation i'm playing uh, rug in this format, so I need to like figure out how to loop Dockside's Extortionist. Like, in, in, in like I know I know what I'm going to be playing against, and these are the like these cards are going to be slightly better and win my raise my win percentage up this much more. Because I, I I do think even our statement about modern being a Brewer's Paradise has never been totally true. It it is more Brewer friendly than say other formats, Legacy for its expense or Standard due to its limited card pool. Um, and there are gems that you can find in the rough, but it is much more often about 
tweaking the format versus then like regular commander uh, uh, classically has been where it's like people will come up with brand new things that are just like totally off the wall um, or some other formats. I think the Death Shadow example is really useful because uh, I was playing uh, Modern when Death Shadow came out, like the uh, actual archetype. You know, like uh, Patrick Chapin's old like Grixis control deck where he was playing like four cryptic commands? Yes. Um, yeah. Would you call that this like I, I was, this is a leading question, obviously, but like you wouldn't call that the same as Death Shadow, right? Correct. Like yeah, I would not. Obviously, right? There's packages. If you think of like just like I don't know, like Thought Seizes and Stepcaster Mages as packages, right? Like obviously those are like those, or the, even like your your mana base, right? Like all the fetch lands, right? Those are obviously like every Grixis deck is going to be playing the same mana base, right? And uh, every Grixis CDH deck is probably going to be playing a lot of the same cards. Um, but like who your commander is. Um, what your weight you, like, is. Like, for example, there's a Malcolm Viles Mesher deck that has a one-card combo with Malcolm and um, Glinhorn Buccaneer. Uh, that deck has this really unique one-card combo. It plays all... It, the rest of the deck is mostly just, like, generic Rixus cool stuff. But someone realized that was a combo, built the deck, brewed it, uh, now it's on the deckless database. Like, it's almost like, like you can be the person... I think... If if part of being a brewer for you is being like, I like being known as the person who did this and that, like if you derive some enjoyment from that and be like, oh, I proved that this deck was viable, uh, I think that's like a, where a lot of the attention for CDH comes from. Like Michael Levine comes to mind. He's won like multiple events playing mono white, which obviously is like kind of insane if you think about like white's power level in commander. Uh, he played Heliod and he played Lin Civi, which is like an old rebels yeah. commander. Oh, it was pretty sick. He became known as the mono white guy and he like brewed those decks from scratch, developed totally new tech for them. He's constantly working on them with new white cards that come out. Um, like if that, if you want to be that person who everyone knows, like who's the mono white guy, there's actually two now. There's a the guy named Charles, but who are the mono white guys, Charles and Charles. Michael? Like <laughs> if you want to be that person, it's wide open. There's, you can find your, your spot. You just got to like own it and, and talk about it and work on it. And so that's, you actively have to be the person. You have to actually have to be the person who does something that is out of the norm. I think. I think the difficult thing about what you're talking about is that, like, I mean, we we almost never talk about it anymore, Alex. But we we used to play a paper format called uh, Highlander Gauntlet a lot, and it was you know 600 card deck, singleton. There can't be any repetitious cards between the six and the band list is the reserve list, and so it's a lot of options. It's it's lots and lots of cards. And I used to play an Esper deck that was like a combo deck, and I remember. I used to play Thespian Sage Dark Depths as like the primary win condition in a combo deck. It was like lots of tutors, you know, similar, very similar to CDH. And I would try to get there as fast as I could. Now this, at the time I built the deck, it also had like Grand Architect Peely Pala in the deck. It also had like Demir Guild Mage and Mind Crank in the deck. It also had like one, it had like four combos and near death experience. It was a whole disaster of a deck. Um, <laughs> and uh, eventually over time, I found when I played the deck, the only thing the tutors ever went for was the Dark Depths combo. I would have a counterspell open. I would use all my energy as often as I could to get to that combo to beat my opponent, right? So it became clear eventually, like, these other combos were useless. I actually didn't want them in the deck anymore. They just took up extra cards. They represented lines of play that made the deck totally suboptimal. And eventually, once I got smart with the deck and cut all of the other things, it was like, oh, if I had started from the place of just building the most optimal win condition and then tutors to get me there, I would have built this deck totally differently. It wouldn't have had any of the identity, any of the flavor, any of the spirit that it has, right? 
And so I think that that yearning you're talking about with the people who build the mono white decks, that yearning to be unique and original and different and be recognized for it is kind of what the whole idea of being a brewer is about. Um, it's not the optimal thing it, because the mono white decks you're talking about, by and large, if you were going to rank them in a vacuum, are probably not as powerful as the really, really good console decks. They just probably aren't. They probably get outclassed just barely at least by the best console decks because that's a really efficient win condition with more colors available to it and better tutors. So, well, but sometimes, sometimes, like speaking of you know metagaming, right? Like the if you build a deck to beat the demonic consultation decks and that's what everyone else is doing, then it doesn't matter that it's not as good as them. Like it's not as better. It doesn't matter that in a vacuum, it like it against a random decks isn't going to be as good as they are uh or like they're just not going to goldfish as fast it matters that it's able to beat those decks because it was built to fight them so I, i do think that like when looking at competitive brewing formats right like modern like cdh that you have um the ability to metagame is something that like doesn't exist in regular commander like you can come up with anything in commander but your ability to metagame in commander is like exists right like you know like i should run like like it's one of the reasons that um you can play pyroblast or yeah pyroblast exactly right like basically the overload spells (laughs) are are like metagame calls in commander um and and that is because you know like your opponents are probably going to play at least soul ring and then plus 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 something beyond that and and the like ability to say i know my opponents are going to be playing adnaz the, the fact that that birthing pot like you know blood pod works like i know my opponents are playing adnaz i know my opponents are playing um artifact spells i know that they're playing these and the fact that i can play a green deck that can tutor for the best hate cards against those cards more efficiently than they can tutor for their win conditions or the multiple cards they need to get to those win conditions gives me a leg up even though if i was playing against the like Garrick Planeswalker uh, pre-release card where you just had to do 30 damage first to it and then you win and they were playing against that card, they're winning first. Because like, that's the vacuum, right? The the like pre-made Planeswalker you have to kill that doesn't actually do anything to you. So I do, I do, I see that that, 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 that does create like that brewer's mentality. It's just, it's slightly different when, uh, like I, I think one of the differences like, Mana bases are so perfect in Commander and the way Commander color identity works that like playing something that isn't Grixis or four color, not not white and versus a modern where because mana bases are much harder to kind of put together and because fast mana doesn't really exist, your lines of what's powerful have more deviations or what you can include in your deck is less specific. So there, there's like things like, am I going to play Collector Roof and rely on Dorks? Am I going to play Nilrod and or Crystal? Like there is like a the mana. There's mana attack in the format. It's just attacking the acceleration instead of the uh, lands. Right, right. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so that makes total sense, and I think that that's the meta stuff you're talking about, right? Like that's the that's the literal response that you guys are both mentioning, which is like because you know your opponents and the most powerful things people can do are X. You are going to do Y. You're going to do Z. Right. And so that all makes total sense to me. I think where you talked about Alex a minute ago, the thing that really adds up the most is that, okay, it's a four player format in general. So if you're going to, if you're going to execute a game plan to beat three other players, it's going to be doing something over the top and unfair that ends the game immediately and locks everybody out because you can't be expected to attack 
three players at once and be the best at attacking, like that just could not be consistently a good enough strategy to create the game environment we're talking about. And that's where it's different than 1v1, right? Because I can have a really good deck in 1v1 that most effectively reduces your life total from 20 to zero by playing disruption and attacking you for chunks of damage and burning you out every turn. That's the thing that exists. It exists in legacy. It exists in modern, whether it's, you know, uh, team or Delver or whether you're talking about zoo decks or death shadow, like you are attacking to win the game with disruption and backup and you can do it in one V one. You can play the most efficient version that also can deal with combo decks. That's not really an archetype that you can consistently say the game plan is going to get you to the same point every game in any multiplayer format, which is, I think, ultimately why multiplayer formats, if they're intended to be competitive, like CDH, are not appealing to modern players. Like CDH, I think, can appeal to a modern player because they understand the same endgame. But if they're required to like get creatures in play and attack all of their opponents equally, it's a much harder to understand game game state. Like that's not a game plan you can consistently execute the same way every time, right? The thing is, is that in CDH, like you just that like game plan uh, it's you you can have a game plan in the command zone which i think is is if you're interested in that kind of like my game plan is to play creatures and attack with them there are things like that they're not combat damage they're usually like i play my commander my commander has some synergy i build up that synergy to do something totally unfair and i win the closest deck to like a combat thing is paco where you just attack people for commander damage on turn three which is just absolutely ridiculous. You're generally right. I, I think that gameplay in the command zone, though, is kind of a, a unique thing about Commander that kind of plays into that, like, I'll draw Lightning Bolt, I hit you with Lightning Bolt, <laughs> you know? I do think in, in defense of Commander to that, Ben, like, there are strategies that aren't viable in every format, right? Like, there are standard formats where aggro is terrible, there are standard formats where tempo is terrible, there's uh, standard formats where control is terrible, you know, there's there's modern formats where jund is bad, and there's never a format where jund is bad, jund is good always. There's <laughs> there's formats where, like, like there, were, there was a huge chunk of time where control did not exist in modern. I, I would say, like, a good, like, half of the format's existence, control didn't exist. There are formats where ramp was terrible in modern only until like the last two years did ramp really become a format defining effect. Um, and that's true of aggro. That's true of, um, even the definition of like what burn is doing is different and, and, and what tempo is right. Like again, and even like conversations on how to attack archetypes in modern for a long time, the best tempo deck was in fact, like, you know, Delver hasn't been good in modern basically since year one and like in Geist as well, RIP, <laughs> but like Delver type strategies where you play a threat, you uh, interact with your opponent enough where they can't kill you and you protect your threat from any interaction they have to stop it is the definition of tempo. And that's what Infect was. And but like if you were to ask someone is is in fact a combo deck or, or, or a tempo deck, they would probably argue that it's a combo deck. So it's like weird. Like what metagames, what is viable in a metagame, I think is like always not necessarily going to have every representation of play style. Vintage is another good example, right? Like there are just like archetypes that don't exist in vintage. Legacy. I, I would say, I, I would say, Alex, though, that vintage is closest to uh, EDH when you're talking about the difference in variable because of the power level. The reason I say the thing I say, I agree with everything you just said. Everything you just said is correct, yeah. right? Like, every, well, like format to format, my the strategies that, that are like, viable. Multiplayer is not the only factor on that, is, is, is I guess what I was saying. 
what I'm specifically saying, and, and, and I know we want to kind of get to this next part of the conversation, but specifically what I'm saying is that when your reference to Paco is you can attack people for commander damage to win the game, that's just essentially saying you, you're built in with a double strike creature in your, in, you start with your open hand. Like that's not the same thing as I'm going to play a two, one for one or a four, four yeah. for three or a six, six for three, because I have a great rate and that's going to win me the game. Like, in regular magic, the acceleration of your rate there, if you're doing that consistently enough, is gonna that's gonna build an archetype. You're but trying like, to kill three people at the same time that also have like but the, the most powerful things in the game. You need something that's beyond the normal rates that cards are designed with. That's what I'm trying to say. But that strategy hasn't difference. existed. That strategy hasn't existed in modern for five years. Like I play Death Shadow is Death, Death Shadow is I'm playing a really powerful creature and protecting it a six six or something that's bigger than a six six because Death Shadow can be like a ten ten or a twelve twelve and I'm protecting it and killing your stuff and then killing but you I, by I attacking I you. I don't think that's any different than Paco. It's it's I'm playing one threat that's really really big and I'm playing a bunch of other cards to stop you from stopping me from killing you with it. Right, like and that's 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 what what uh, uh, Jim was doing with uh, the shark brighter braylon right it oh makes, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah yes there's a combo built in there but death shadow had combos built with the double strike effect right it was always for a long time it was playing the double strike effect um and we'll often go back to that but for the most part it's playing i'm playing one threat i'm playing ways to to protect it and i'm going to kill you with that threat in commander that threat gets bigger and you're killing three people but in modern that has a different side. I think, where it's at like its core, I think at its core, burn is the thing we're talking about. If you really want to say the only but thing that exists that's doing like, like a card for card, yeah, well, it does though. It attacks with it attacks with like swift spears and prowess creatures, and like it, it does. Attack. But most of its cards it's just, are are burn spells that do. Like, yes, it's playing some creatures that are on the ground, and prowess decks do that more now than than even burn does. But like, even those are ostensibly tempo decks that are playing a threat and protecting it, and then killing you with the spells that they have in their hand. I don't know how that's. I, I guess I guess my point is like the one drop into two drop a threat into three drop threat into four drop threat I win like hasn't like even Merfolk hasn't been good. And that's like I guess I think the last deck I think that was like ostensibly playing creatures to do that effect to attack your opponent for years. The ones that are like dude, like humans kind of evolved into that were doing so using interaction on humans but that's what that birthing pod deck is right like that birthing pod deck yes i can combo out but most of the time i'm playing sure. eight bears that are beating down and you can't stop me because i'm drawing cards and playing beat down creatures and eventually i'm going to kill you and end like and that's what birthing pod was in the back in the day right like you have to worry about the combo so you can't interact with the threats that i'm thinking that i'm playing that stop you from what you're doing and that's what humans did that's what kite self rebooter is on a card it's i'm stopping you and here's a threat that also is killing you as i stop you with it Yes, I agreed that I, I think you're correct. Disruptive creatures are the best way to execute the game plan. I think the only point I was trying to illustrate and the reason I think it was relevant to this conversation is that if I sit down with any any modern deck, literally any of that I'm playing that's a good deck, and my opponent on turn one plays Curse Catcher, there is an okay chance that at the end of the game I will lose because they're playing a cohesive set of cards that are doing a thing that's like a linear game plan that if I draw incorrectly, whatever, they can win because it's a good set of cards. If you show up in a game of CDH with CDH decks with a deck of creatures that's like, I'm going to play the best rate of creature I can, like four power for one mana even, and that's the, what the deck is doing, which is similar to Merfolk, you can't win because you won't be able to execute your game plan fast enough for three people to get bad beats when they're all going to win with a two-card yeah. combo. The, that's the, reason, the, right? the reason Paco is able to... The reason Paco is able to do that is because he also says draw four cards. So every time your opponent tries to interact with you and you have to waste a removal spell to protect him, 
you're still up four cards every turn, right? Like you just, there's just that, like every time you play a creature with a body in commander, you're like down a card, you know, unless it generates some type of value on its own. But that's true of modern, you know? right? Like that's like, yes, yes, it's 1v1. So the value isn't, isn't there, but like the, the quality of cards that exist in that every format now, <laughs> thank you, 2020, is so high that like playing Lord of Atlantis doesn't do anything anymore, right? Like, it, but do playing, you disagree? Playing, do, but do you, you disagree, do you disagree do with what I'm saying though? That if like you sit down with the optimal build of Merfolk and I sit down with the optimal build of like whatever the deck of the week in modern is, if I draw kind of badly and you just draw normally, you'll win the game within six turns versus like. Every single person in a game of CDH could draw poorly in six turns if I had the best creatures available. Eventually, one of them would draw to win the game because the, the limitation, you, I, you don't I think would, so? I think, I think that player, if, if six players draw six turns badly in CDH and you have a deck in Commander that was meant to compete in that format that's playing good creatures, I think you win. And I think in Modern, that like at the same rate that that Merfolk deck does. I think like decks aren't built to go six turns. Like like yes, you get mana flooded and mana screwed. Like that happens, but that's true in every format. There's a new deck actually that actually kind of does that. Uh, it basically says like, hey, if you don't, it's a, you know Lathriel, Lathriel, the new green black commander from the precons. The the I don't know the if elf. I know that one. It's the elf yeah, that you it, can tap it, and do it ten deals, damage. Whenever to a player. it deals combat damage, you get that many elves, and then it can tap to deal ten damage with elves to each player. To each player. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a yeah, deck now that's just all it does is it just like casts invigorate and pump spells on the commander to make like ten, tw- like 10 elves. And then each turn it just uh, taps to deal 10 damage to everyone and then just puts a clock on people to be like, all right, played my commander on turn one. Turn two, I made 10 elves. Turn three, I'm just going to start dealing 10 to you. <laughs> and I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of my point is like the deck you described, the Merfolk deck which is, I guess, our baseline here, is able to win games in modern because that is the most efficient way of doing that. And 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 maybe this elf deck sounds like it's possibly that in, in, in CDH, but that's like, it's metagame dependent, right? Like in Legacy, that deck is even rarer. And in modern, it's rare. Like, yes, Merfolk might beat down on the person who stumbles one out of five games, but that happening to them is rare enough where that deck hasn't been good for four years. And I guess that's my point is like, the the example you're giving of I can sit down with my creature deck and once in a while my opponents will be mana screwed and so I'll be able to beat them one time like that exists in CDH like it's not what you described where you play a one drop into a two drop creature into a you're not like but no one's playing limited right like if I took a limited deck to a modern tournament I'm also just going to lose but I might win one game and I don't get maybe that's not viable in commander but I don't think that is a fair People bring casual decks to CDH pods and win games because, like, if you think about it, like, if your cards are bigger, sometimes you'll just win. Like, if you're playing Sun Titans and Ed Frost Titans, and we all just stop each other from winning and go through all of our card advantage, and then just kind of like sit there with our, you know, one three commanders that say pay four man draw a card, but there's like a stacks piece to play that turns it off, like. I've just lost to casual players in those situations where they just attack me with the Frost Titan for five turns and I die because um, someone played Stacks Pieces. People were really mad at me when I was talking crap about uh, Frost Titan the other day on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the conditions, I think the conditions, of course, in any format can exist where like by stumbling or what your opponent is doing specifically interacts in a way that beats you. I guess, I guess my only point, guys, is that like, 
while everything we said about modern is true and what you said about the elf deck is also true, that's also tapping cards to create a situation where you're doing parallel to three players. That's not the same thing as just playing creatures and attacking with them. So yeah. my whole point in saying this was like, it all started with your question, Alex, about uh, the game plan evolving into the same place for so many different archetypes, like the Brewer's Paradise mm-hmm. conversation, which is the reason that that is the case is because if you are playing creatures that have a good rate based on the normal design of magic cards, you can't fill your deck with those in a format where what you're playing against is I draw these two cards or these tutors that get me to these two cards. And even if you had seven good turns in a row, if I'm not at zero, I will win because the end game is a combo deck because the way to win is either a combo deck or a commander that's winning in a one shot. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's not, yeah. it's nothing really to do with like, and I think that's, that's an issue more with card pool size than it is with multiplayer format. Uh, cause, cause, cause my, my point there then is like regular commander has every one of these archetypes you, you talk about. There's the dumb token Correct. deck. Yeah. There's, there's the like mill deck. Like it's it CDH's issue. There is more what vintage's issue is in regards to, to, to these conversations. It's not a conversation on, uh, I have three other opponents I have to kill, so playing aggro creatures doesn't work. It's every one of my opponents is playing 17 mana rocks, and the rest of the deck is counter spells other than combos and tutors. And like I have to be able to survive that. And if that's the case, there are ways to survive that, and there's a variety of ways to do that. They're just not going to be classic aggro mid-range versus control versus combo, like rock, paper, scissors, right? It's 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 much more on like... I have to turn off their counter spells or I have to turn off their combo right, pieces right. or I have it, to turn off their It, it has to be disrupting. It's got to be hate bears. It, it, it's, it's bringing yeah. a, a, like a gun to a knife fight. Or if you're not going to bring a gun to a gun fight, then it's like I have to play metagame stuff. So I have to go. I have to zig when they zag totally. Which is true of like vintage, right? If I like showed up to a vintage tournament and they're playing a real vintage deck and I'm like, I have Tron. <laughs> like I'm just going to get my face stomped because I'm not doing anything until turn three. And they're they've already won the game by turn one. <laughs> and that's kind of why I compared vintage to CDH in the first place. Like yeah. I think there are the formats where legacy's not far behind, but also I feel like at this point, legacy's closer to modern than legacy is to vintage. I feel like what people are doing in legacy is actually closer to the power level of modern, whereas vintage is like feels a lot more like CDH in terms of just this isn't really functioning on the axis of like normal standard magic sets when if i open a pack of cards what i see in this pack is kind of representative of how this game's gonna go like that's not even you know the, like you could open a box and you won't see many cards that actually would get played the major defining things that are legal in c in cdh that see play in cdh that aren't in modern are have more often in common things with legacy than they are with vintage than legacy right like yes force of will and free counter spells is a legacy thing but like we don't have delver like we don't have Delver or right. Wastelands or Correct. we we don't have Time Lock, but we have Time Twister. And and the format's about playing fast fast mana, right? Like Legacy is not about playing fast mana. Vintages, CDHs, and I think that's actually just the defining line. In like, I think that I think actually like the biggest thing is uh, I think we've been figuring this out as a community lately, which is the card quality in CDH is uh, goes from like a hundred uh, out of ten to like well, you know ten. And so, like, when you mulligan, like, you're looking for, like, those, like, 100 out of 10 cards, like, Mana Crypt or Soul Ring. I think that's, like, very similar to Vintage, where, like, in Vintage, like, you really want to hit... I haven't played Vintage, but I've, I've watched quite a bit of it. And uh, I feel like you want to hit those, like, super powerful cards, like Time Walk or Ancestral Recall, especially Ancestral Recall. And CDH is kind of the same way. Like, y- your deck is not 100 Mana Crypts. It's, like, 10 or so Mana Crypts, and then, like, 90 other really good cards. 
I feel like that's like the big similarity. At least I, mean, I think, to me. I, think that's fair. I think the key. I think the key of all this is just like in a game of one v one magic that is normal. They have twenty life. If you are intending to reduce life totals from that to zero, it is six times harder in a game of four player magic. They have forty each. It's one hundred twenty versus twenty. Right. It's a difference of times six. So like your strategy has to account for that, which means the card value is different. The, the, the damage per card value is different and you have to solve the problem differently. Like that's the, that's the, that's the major difference. It's just one twenty versus 20. I, I, I guess yes and no is, is my point there, right? Like, yes, that is, a, that is negating a few strategies, but I think what the bigger issue is, and it's closer to vintage, right? Is like vintage is putting a clock of turn two, right? Like, like it, many decks can win on turn two and therefore your life total doesn't matter. Uh, like, like it, it doesn't matter that much. there are enough powerful cards in this format that are so good that people are going to be playing them. And therefore you trying to attack my life total down below 20 on like a basic level, isn't going to matter compared to you being able to either stop me. So you have the time to do 20 damage or kill me in whatever format path you want to kill me, be it Thassa, demonic consultation, be whatever. And CDH is the same way, right? Like it's, 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 I, have the ability to lose through these methods that the methods that are being played, yes, they're combos because it's easier to do that than to do 60 damage, but it's more about just the speed of those things. And I, I think if everyone came to a game at 20 life in CDH or if everyone came to 10, like you had to only deal 20 damage to your opponent's total anyways, I still think stuff like Thassa's Oracle is going to be heavily played because it's just, it's more consistently able to kill people quicker at the speed that people are doing it. That's what's true of vintage, right? It's not about life total differences. It's about just like the cards that I have that can kill you are faster than any cards in magic that kill you through life damage. Thought experiment for you guys. It's a real question because this is the interesting you say this, Alex. I think I think that's actually a really cool point. So my point a second ago, right, like 60 or, or 20 times six, right? So 120 between three opponents. If you reduce that down to normal, like you just said, you think it would be the same format. I actually don't think I disagree with you. I actually think probably if everybody had 20 life instead of 40, it would still be the same format. What if what if everybody had 10 life? Same card pool. Everybody started with 10 life. How would the format function? Do you think you would see burn decks? Do you think it would be? A yeah, so format? there's this format called Conquest that I helped work on for a bit where the starting life total was 25. Instead of commander damage being 21, commander damage was 12. So... Uh, if you think about it, that's three hits by a 4-4 with flying. There happens to be a five-minute commander named Krom that has, has a 4-4 flying with haste. That format was awesome, and it's really <laughs> fun. You should check it out if you're into it. In that format where commander damage is only 12 damage, uh, you had decks where their primary game plan was just playing a, a commander with evasion that had a big body, trying to hit people twice. You had tempo decks where it was like, hey, just give Krom double strike like, uh, or give him an equipment. So I think I think the format at like... A low enough life total starts to get pretty uh, dicey, and like ad nauseum doesn't exist anymore. Like you have to think about how much the format's warped by like ad nauseum and necropotence point. being yeah. like forty life. Like that's insane. It speeds up. You just have to make five mana and put an ad nauseum in your hand because right. like at forty life, it's just not even like a question whether or not you'll mm -hmm. get there. So like, all right, the format's way slower because all the storm decks are just massively worse, and there's just less life to play with, and then. All these like evasive commanders that have flying, like Ishai. Have you guys ever read Ishai? Like, it's a four mana commander. So whenever an opponent casts a spell, you put a counter on it and it has flying. So uh, your opponents basically can't cast spells, right? Like, if your life total is like 
what was it, 20 or 10, um, you, your opponents are locked out of the game at a certain point because like they either have to answer this a shy or they just die in the following combat. How do you step. spell a shy? What's, what's the card? It's it's the blue white companion uh, from the original companion side. Partner, the blue white. Sorry, not companion. Sorry, it's the blue white partner. Uh, it's the only blue white one. So if you look up partner blue white, it'll be the only one that shows up. Other than partners with, I guess it's a bird wizard that every time an opponent casts a spell, give it a plus one plus one uh, counter. Oh, I remember the card. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it 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 is um um the I think like. Like I think magic, everyone's life total going back to ten, like just is totally modified. And 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 I think like for instance, there's just deck that's just playing lightning bolts in that format, and just like all of them, because <laughs> you can kill opponent, like draw three spells, you kill an opponent, right? Like pretty easily at ten life. Commander damage at 12, 25 life is different, but at 10 life, also just like mana bases just totally alter because shock lands and fetch lands become unplayable. You just right. can't play pain right. lands. Like at 10 life, those cards just are removed from magic because you can't risk which it. Which also slows down the format quite a bit, which actually gives a nice like push and pull where you're like, oh, I want to turbo out these like commanders. Like mana crypt. Can you play mana crypt at a 10 life format? Probably not. No. That's like really spicy. It's But, but see, I think, well, I think you, everything you, you guys are saying here is... is, is it, it's like one of the really interesting components to the part of the conversation that Alex, you and I were going back and forth on so much, which is like, right? Like the idea of attacking people, everything we were talking about, like aggro creatures that attack people immediately becomes viable if you have three people at 10 life, because all of a sudden the rate increases. It doubles from the way cards are actually traditionally designed. So, so this- it's like, it actually gets it, it right. Well, I mean, like my, my only point is to say that like in modern, I can get an angler on turn two, Right. Now you're telling me that I can get an angler on turn two that also has like force of will backup or something else. Like that's a lot of damage. Six damage on turn two. If my opponents all have 10 Death life. Death Shadow is always live at 10 life. <laughs> Putting that out there. <laughs> I, I think I think my point there though is like 10 life is an extreme thing that like magic, like you'd have the opposite problem. Like cards, like about card evaluation just goes out the window. I, I like like the the other format that uh to bring up I hit Sugu's second right, which oh, is four yeah. man. I win the game, like, uh, literally. That just wins the game. Just, I think that card's banned, right? Like, like, uh, like a uh, 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 what's it called? Oathbreaker is a format where it's commander, but twenty five life, and like you, there are much more. I'm attacking aggressively with creatures strategies that exist in that format, just in general, right? Even though planeswalkers are commanders, and it kind of solves your problem, where like now aggro commanders become that much more stronger because just a 10, 10 out of the format. Like if you can have a 10, 10 commander every game that like is maybe too good. Oathbreaker has that effect where like now people are playing with more aggressive strategies that you can attack with creatures partially because it's, it's, it's commander removal. Right. But then also because you're able to attack people. So I, I, I don't hate the idea of doing it. Like I like I've liked the formats that like their life total is at 25 versus 40. I do think like, if I was a time traveler, removing like moving the life total from commander down is maybe one of the like interesting things to look at, just to balance the format a little bit better. Multiplayer commander formats at twenty five life though are like very interesting. Like your life total becomes like something you're always thinking about. Like I guess that's normal in Magic, but like when I play commander, like until I'm down to like twenty five, that first fifteen life I throw it away. Like oh yeah, necro for fifteen, sure. That's you know normal. Like when you start out at 25, you're like, there's always like, it's like, there's always someone on your back, like just waiting to take you out. And um, it's just, that just really warps a lot of your decision-making. I think it comes back to the beginning of this conversation. And I think it's probably a great place for us to honestly kind of wrap up the episode, which yep. is like, basically, I truly believe that the entire idea of competitive magic and what people look for and what makes magic competitive, like what makes a competitive format fun. Uh, it's about 
something different than what I think people who want 40 life and commanders that cost six want. They want the communal experience. They don't want the optimal build. They want to be able to play pet cards. They don't want to have to own mana crypts. They want to be able to attack their opponent thinking they're going to win and have the person at the table be like, nope, I'm going to stop you for fun because we'll get a laugh out of it, right? Like at the end of the day, I want to remember this game in a way that made me laugh. And like, that's the reason I'm going to come back and play next time. Not because I won. That, that's the real truth, right? The reason people come back to games of commander, it's not because they won or lost. It's because they had a good time. So that's where what we're talking about here in modern and in CDH is very different than traditional commander. It just is. It's, it's, you aren't looking for the same thing. Competitive magic doesn't mean the same thing as it does to somebody who wants to show up for two hours of a social experience. I will say though, like it's kind of, it's kind of like that gradient um, we mentioned earlier, like, there are people looking for, uh, you know, the beer and pretzels, and they also just want to be playing, like, ridiculously powerful cards. And there are people who want to be playing ridiculously powerful cards and being pretty competitive about it. It's just about, like, finding the right play group for whatever, wherever you are on that gradient, really. Uh, because that's, that's how you're going to get the best experience, is just by finding people who also want that experience. Sacrificing your life total, <laughs> truthfully, like the 40, the 15 life we talked about is the sign of like, I am playing this format that I can have fun with. I can have my beer and pretzels and I can like waste a turn or a sequence or a phase and not really care. That's why, that's why 40 life basically exists. If you had 20 or you had 10, you wouldn't really be able to take turns off like that. You wouldn't be able to to like take a phone call and and make a sloppy turn because like, it's just for fun. The point is to have fun. It isn't to have an optimal play experience. I think that's why it's different. I also think like that's part of the reason people like competitive commander, like is because like it is fun resolving a necropotence for 40 like there's no other format where you can rip a necropotence and flip like mana crypt soloring mox diamond chrome mox off the top like some people just find that to be fun that's like a ridiculous thing to do yeah 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 like that's that's the existence of formats right like the the reason different formats exist is because they offer things that you can do that you just can't in other ones and some of it is from a depowering right like you can't play tron and vintage uh now like uh, people are going to comment with tron vintage lists you can't play modern level decks in vintage you can't play standard level decks in modern and you can't play cdh level decks in modern (laughs) or like in any other format there's something different that's adding that's why it's popular though the formats that become less popular i feel like are the ones that are offering something similar to something that already exists and that's always kind of been like that's that's the big challenge. That's like Pioneer's biggest flaw is what is Pioneer offering that other formats don't ex- don't. Historic offers what Pioneer offers, but it's on Arena, which is something that right. There's nothing else like it. They, it. There needs to be an eternal format on Arena. Uh, Pioneer kind of offers what Modern was offering, um, except Modern exists already, and a lot of people have decks in Modern, and people were already kind of invested in it. And do I want to have two formats like that? Pioneer kind of offers what Standard offers with a smaller card pool, but then Standard offers that plus it rotates, plus it's the newest card. So if you were a new player in Magic, you can just buy packs, and then you eventually can have a Standard deck. And the like, the main difference, the only thing that Vintage offers over Legacy is the not banned list <laughs> which is kind of what cdh offers right it's like here's a bunch of cards that are the most powerful things to ever exist in this game and a lot of them are so famous that they sell for half a million dollars <laughs> i think uh, one interesting thing like about legacy and uh, this is coming from someone who's only played like you know legacy for a few months at a time i think a lot of legacy is like is like about enjoying legacy so, like, the Legacy players I know play Legacy, and they enjoy Legacy, and, like, the maintenance of the format is sort of about, like, maintaining that, like, 
what legacy is in this, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I feel like one interesting thing that like competitive commander has kind of offered is it's like a, it's like a space where these like new cards that get printed that are just absolutely way too pushed. You can still play them. Like you can play underworld breach in CDH and like, no one's going to have a problem with that. Right, right. Well, that's it's interesting that like the relationship between legacy and vintage and CDH and regular commander is inverse, but the effect on them is this, the opposite. So like and people play vintage because they want to play vintage, right? But it's 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 like legacy is vintage for people that just like want to hang out and vintage is like the the purest form of that and commander is like the pure form of it and but CDH is the version of people just wanting to like people are playing CDH because they want to play it, I guess is, is kind yeah. of the point that you're making in, and, and it, they're not, they're not being forced to play it. There's no reason to play this format other than the fact that you want to versus commander. Like it is the dominant social experience in magic at the moment. So like in, in looking at Ben, you right now, especially with COVID, if you want to play magic, you kind of either have to play like you're grinding digital magic by yourself or you, if you want to be interacting with people, you're probably playing Commander. So, like, it's it's interesting what the motivations for what being, people are playing right now are. And and I, I do think that that kind of uh, last last statements uh, from 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 Ben and then Braden to, to wrap stuff off, and then I'll do all the signing off content creator things before that happens. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe and comment. Hit that like button. Hit that bell button. That makes you get alerted. We're coming out with content all the time now, every day. So that bell button helps you get alerted to when that's coming and then all the other good things. So Ben, any any last statements before uh, we pass it off to Mr. Braden? Uh, no, I, 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 I love talking about this. I think this is like a really, really cool conversation. It's, this is kind of, Alex, like the expansion of a conversation you and I have had for years mm-hmm. with like a, a, effectively like we're in therapy and this is like our moderator. Mm-hmm. Like we got mm-hmm. to like have <laughs> we got to like have that conversation. Uh, it was like super fun and I, I appreciate uh, so much getting to have it because I think it does it does bring to light a lot of different things. Uh, as far as anything beyond this conversation goes, uh, I mentioned to a lot of you guys last week on the show. Uh, I'm very, very excited about releasing music this year and, and I'll continue to talk about it. But for now, just a big thank you to you guys for uh, for watching this and, and being a part of episode 301 as we get into the next phase of the podcast. Uh, and, you know, if you do guys want to check out what I'm doing, go to youtube.com slash nerds and suits. I do a Monday show from six to seven every week where I talk about everything going on in my creative life and you like goal setting, like positive, like positivity challenges, like, you know, 30 day challenges and stuff like that too. So if you just want some, you know, encouragement in your life to make your bed or drink more water or whatever it is, uh, we do a lot of that stuff and it's a, it's a, it's a fun way to interact. So, uh, that's, I think that's kind of what I have to say about that. Yeah. Episode 301. We're the, the, uh, outside DC Maryland area zip code today's episode mm. it's going to be a thing we start doing maybe <laughs> looking up the zip codes uh we should have been doing that for a while we got through all the 200s we went 213 that's also another la 202 which i know is a uh a, a seattle area correct or is that yeah the yeah, yeah. Uh, 202 is, what uh, you're 202 right? isn't like uh, Seattle is 206. 206. DC is 202. Seattle is 206. All right. Uh, big shout out. I, I think Braden's internet has uh, 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 ended, so uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, big shout out to Braden. You can find him. There's a bunch of links below uh, for the content he does. CDH Cast is his uh, a podcast that he does. He also uh, helps moderate a bunch of the different commander uh, uh, CDH content locations, including Discord and um, the the websites that were mentioned uh, and are will be linked below. Thank you so much for joining. I'm sorry, you're in it died for the 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 final wrap-ups but 
Uh, thank you so much. Hopefully you're hearing this one now and you're just listening in somewhere or not. Um, but, uh, thank you listeners. Make sure to check out our patron. Big shout out to our patrons. As always, you are the reason we're able to do this every month. If you don't, uh, donate to the patron, it's definitely worth doing it. Now you get the full episode ahead of time, all the content unedited plus 30 minutes of extra content at the beginning of this episode, but around 15 minutes, uh, on average, uh, every week, uh, a week early, Definitely check that out, um, and and even at at, at five dollars or, or 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 more. Uh, and if uh, and make sure to follow. I'm at Kess Wiley and everything. We also do Monday night Commander content every Monday night. Uh, make sure to check that out. Um, it's awesome. It's, it's really fun. Uh, next week we have uh, or th- tonight or this week. This is if, at, depending on how you listen to this. Uh, or or this week we had. Uh, Tappy Toe Claws and Jason Alt from the Brainstorm Brewery. Uh, two great ah, friends of the podcast. It's going to be a it's great be episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm really we're talking hyped. from the past about the future, and those are two of my favorite people. So I can't wait, can't wait for that episode. I got to build something new and spicy to mess with Tappy. Yeah, this is. I think she's required to play Nevernile's disc, the commander, the the Esper one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because she wants to make uh, Jason sad, and it is. It, I think it is more on the higher power level side. So, so, so it's going to be fun. And then uh, the next week, I believe we have Vorthos, Mike, and Sam for Bristic Studies on, uh, and Brandon's back to give all of his final shout outs. But they'll be on uh, on March eighth. So that they're they're next week. This week was uh, was Tappy and and uh, Jason and uh, Braden. Welcome back. Time to say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it went so fast. <laughs> I uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I had a blast. This was a lot of fun. If you're just in getting into a competitive commander, check out uh, the CDH cast. Uh, check out the competitive uh, commander Facebook group. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter at CDH cast. And I uh, hope you uh, find something you're interested in brewing. Oh. Check out the uh, decklist database. You can just look up CDH decklist database. Just got updated. Uh, I don't help run it anymore. I used to be one of the reviewers, but uh, it's a really awesome resource. You should check it out. Um, and and those all those links are going to be below in video descriptions as long as Braden uh, sends me links to those things as his homework uh, after we uh, hit stop record. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and everyone, please follow Braden in all the places. He's he's a great online person to uh, follow on the internet. Welcome to the content creation. Uh, and like, once again, like, subscribe, hit a comment. We'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on all the things we talked about this week. Uh, and we will talk to you all next week. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.